Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Amen. Good morning and welcome to Vessel Collective Church. Thank you all for being here this morning. If I don't know you, my name is Jake and I serve as a lead pastor here at the Vessel. But man, to be a church and to have church in the YMCA takes a village. So I just want to take a moment. Can we thank just our, our team for serving us this morning from our tech to our lead, load in, load out to our worship team and especially those who are back there serving our kids. And um, we also have a whole group that's out this week. It's our student retreat, kind of our spring before summer is in full swing student retreat. So we've got about 20 kids, and man, bless those five or so adults that are spending their entire weekend with some teenagers. My wife and daughter are there, so man, thank them as well. And I just wanna welcome you and thank you for being here. Before we jump in this morning, I have somewhere, yes, uh, on your chair should be one of these little cards. Uh, We print these every month, um, so the start of the month. And we just put a little bit about who we are. So if you're new here, it can tell you a little bit and point you to our website about who we are. But also on the inside, there's a few things that are going on. And so uh, a couple of things. One thing that we didn't put in here uh, because it is actually starting this week's is our men's Bible study. And so this summer, uh, we're doing a, yeah, let's go. We're doing a men's Bible study. Um, it's gonna be Wednesday from seven to 8 p.m. And so if you're a guy and you're interested you should, you should really consider jumping in deep. It's gonna be different than what we've done in the past with some of our men's ministry stuff. We've done some kind of authenticity groups and some retreats, but this is gonna be kind of a deep dive in the study of Genesis. So this is really the last week to sign up as we gather on Wednesday. So if you're a guy, um, I encourage you to go to this. Our women's Bible study wrapped up this past week. Yeah, thank you, Janet, for representing the gals. And so... I don't know what their plans are for uh, this summer. I know they've got some events planned, so you can take a look there if you're a lady. Or if you're a student, you can go on student retreat. Or if you're a kid, you can go vessel kids. And so you should fit into one of those boxes. So we are trying to help and serve and love you. Um, The other thing we've got going on in here is uh, if you look there, we're gonna have uh, our summer, as we're gonna be announcing soon, is Church of Palooza. And so we're really excited about this summer, what it means to kind of live outside the walls of a church. I mean, you already do that really well by coming to a church that meets in a gym. And so thank you for being those people willing to do that. And so I'm really excited about that. But currently, we're in this series called Relational God that we kicked off last Sunday, which really our focus is, is the idea and the simple desire of God to have a relationship with each one of us, a genuine, authentic, personal, intimate relationship with you. And we think a lot of times we talk about big church and we gather in this gym, we're a body of Christ, which is really true and really significant, but God wanting to know you personally. And so he kind of kicked it off last week. Joe, one of our elders, taught on um, on Jacob and, and looked, looked at his journey and his relationship with God and how that grew and changed over time and and our focus and our heart is not to say, hey, this is how to be a Christian, this is what it looks like, but just what does it look like to be in relationship and particularly in relationship with the Lord? And in our little video that we play at the beginning, it says, uh, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And when I gave my life to Christ, that verse was really significant for me. As I grew up in the church, I knew about Jesus, but the idea of God wanting a relationship with me. And I read that verse 
And it says, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And so I, really what I did is I took a step out of faith, out in faith, and put that verse to the test. Man, and I saw this relationship with Jesus began. And so um, as we look through this, we're looking at scripture and different people's relationships with God, but we're also looking at people in our church, and each week we're gonna have kind of a testimony of someone here at the vessel about their relationship with the Lord. And what we did is we didn't, I don't want you to think at all like, hey, we're choosing the people that have the best relationship with God and that everything's okay and, and you know, they're, everything is hunky-dory and easy, but it's really about what does it look like to genuinely have a relationship with the Lord? And so I want you to take a look as we have uh, Jacob and Shelby Parker kind of sharing this morning about their relationship. You need to make these right? I know, I'm like, like I actually gotta focus a little bit. So. Um, no, just use it to put that in the oh, okay, sure. I was really lucky to grow up in a Christian home. I remember when I was seven, dedicating my heart to the Lord, and um, I genuinely feel, feel like I started my relationship with Him. My experience was pretty similar to Shelby growing up. Uh, I think that's why we got along so well, because my parents taking me to church, they were, you know, telling me this is what we do, and of course I believe them because they're my parents, but I never experienced my own relationship with Christ until I got a little older. There was a time where I went to a private school, and at, at my private school, we had Spiritual Emphasis Week. And, you know, they did it every year. Most years they did it. I, uh, I didn't really care because I was a typical high schooler. You know, I didn't, um, didn't really pay attention most of the time. And, but then there was one year where this guy came, he spoke, and every day he was so powerful, this, this, uh, this pastor. And he would say, you know, I want you to come up to the front and I want you to, to worship God in front of everybody and I want you to, to really just praise Him with all your heart. And as a high schooler, that was just the scariest thing to me. And, you know, but it, it really spoke to me every day. And on, you know, the fifth day on Friday, He said, I want you to come to the front and I want you to worship with all your heart. And I was so nervous because all my friends from high school were there. And I was thinking, you know, it's embarrassing, but man, I know God is speaking to me right now. I walked up there and I just dropped to my knees and I, I closed my eyes and I just I just praised God just for during those songs and I just kept my eyes closed. And I was thinking like, you know, I, I feel kind of embarrassed, but at the same time, I'm just overcome with the spirit. And I remember I opened my eyes and when I opened my eyes, all of my friends that were sitting by me were kneeling next to me and they were also praising. So that was just crazy to, to feel God's presence and know that everybody else was feeling His presence there too. My mom went through um, a battle with breast cancer last year. Our small group prayed for her every week and it was just so unexpected that that would ever happen. Um, but God just again showed His faithfulness to us in um, that last week we found out she's cancer free. And so that was, that's just been a huge spiritual marker for me. Me and Shelby, we have Christ. Her mom, she knows she has Christ. And so there's just an element of, of honestly relaxation and peace. And I just couldn't imagine going through that, you know, without Jesus in our lives. When we were at the vessel, you know, people just came that we didn't even know. 
and they would just tell us that they were praying for us, that they were thinking about us, even outside the church, people we didn't even know were Christians. They yeah. were saying like, hey, I just wanted to let you know that we're praying for you. And that's just something that really like makes you believe, man, there is a God and he is so good. Amen. If you know Jacob and Shelby, um, yeah, send them a text and thank them for being vulnerable and honest about what that looks like for them. And Shay and I have, my wife and I have the privilege of being in small group with Jacob and Shelby. And let me, let me tell you, like, it's been a journey for them, right? And a couple things I think are really significant about their relationship with the Lord, which we were going to be today, is both of them said, I was raised in a Christian home. And they both pointed to like, I, I was raised in this environment where Jesus was real. He was significant. We talked about it. Scripture talks about that. And, and a lot of times when we share a testimony, our relationship with God, a lot of times we downplay how significant, how powerful that is. The environment that we're raised in, the place that we're brought up in and what the context of God looks like and the relationship that maybe our parents have or the church that we're raised in. And a lot of times we dismiss that. Like uh, I was with a, I did this, this little training with pastors a year or so ago. This was during COVID and it was online. And so they had us, they said, hey, I want you to share your testimony about how you came into relationship with God. And, I was like, and so I was first up and so they asked me, I said, well, you know, I was raised in a Christian home and the pastor that was leading was like, let me stop you right there. I don't care about that. He's like, you know, he's like, that's the typical, everyone says that. And I was like, well, okay. And I mean, I, I, I shared, you know, like different, but I thought back about that. It's like, no, that matters. Like that was significant for me. But you also know that each one of them, Jacob and Shelby, both also shared of a moment that their relationship began. So we begin to think about that as parents, as gener a church that we value the next generation, what it looks like to pass down faith, right? And how do we raise the next generation in an environment where a relationship with God is real and is significant and, and that we talk about as we sleep, as we walk, walk along the road, as we lie down, uh, as scripture says, what does that look like on a daily, weekly basis? But also, how do we set ourselves up and the ones we love for what does it look for them to begin a relationship with Jesus. And so today we're gonna be uh, in scripture looking at kind of three generations and how this impacted their relationship with God with David, Solomon, and Rehoboam. And so if you know much about these three generations of these kings uh, in scripture, you're gonna know that each one of them had a very different relationship with the Lord, but how they were raised, the environment that, were, that they were brought up in was really important. So let me pray and then we'll jump in. Lord, I thank you for Jacob and Shelby. God, I thank you for, as Shelby testified, just uh, we prayed for her mom, Lord, and, and you healed her and she's cancer free uh, just as of the past few weeks. And we just thank you, Lord, for that. Um, I thank you for their willingness to share, Lord. I thank you that you pursue a relationship with every single one of us and that you're doing that now. That even as we open your word, God, as we dive into scripture, as we investigate our own hearts and our own relationship with you, God, that you are pursuing us. So I just pray that um, as we dive in this morning, God, would you speak powerfully to us? Would you speak through me? Would you activate and use my gifts and skills, Lord, so that you can be made known? Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. 
So uh, as I mentioned, we're going to be, uh, and, and I'm going to tell you, we're going to jump around in Scripture a little bit, a lot in the Old Testament. And so that's not typically what I do. If you've been here at the vessel more often, I typically, I will stick with one passage of Scripture. But we're looking at these three generations of these kings in the Old Testament. And man, it spans books of the Bible. And so a few places we're going to be, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 16, 17, 24. You can mark these or write these down. We're going to be in 1 Kings um, and so we're going to put some scripture up, and I'm going to note some scripture in my, in my teaching. And so please feel free to look these things up um, on your own when you have time. And so as we dive in, we're looking kind of at these three generations of these kings and what their relationship with the Lord looked like. And again, I want to remind you that we're not looking at like, hey, these people did it all right, and they always, they never made a mistake, and they didn't get it wrong, but they always got it right. But really just authentically what their relationship with God looked like. And so the way we're going to break it down to kind of keep it easy is we're going to look at kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly in that order. David being the good, um, Solomon being the bad, and Rehoboam being the ugly. And so if you think about it like in college football terms, kind of Texas A&M and then Baylor, you know, good, bad, ugly. Wendy Browning's not here today, so I think I'm the only Longhorn in the room. So thank you, Scotty Marshall. Thank you. He does count. So that's kind of where we're going to be. So as we, as we start in, we're going to look first, first we're going to look at King David. And he is probably out of these three the one that you know the greatest. Even if you haven't spent a lot of time in church, you know about King David and King David being the good. And so uh, God calls David a man after his own heart. So we think about relationship. And if you are in this room and you are dating someone or you're single in this room and you think about a relationship that you would like with someone else and you think that there's a person that is after your heart, Right, man, that, that is what you look for and desire in someone, to someone to love you and to be, to be after the heart of who you are, not to get into a relationship with you of what they can build, what they, they can obtain, what, it, what value it adds to their lives, right? When we pursue relationship, it is a heart thing. And David is famously known as a man after God, God's own heart. And we look at back at the life of David and we think about all the things that he did. It, it reads, if you've ever spent time in, in you know, Sunday school or a VBS, you know a lot about a lot of the things that David did. David was called and anointed when he was a boy, right? We know that he was he had eight older brothers and God called Samuel and first Samuel to go to this family and the son of Jesse is gonna be God's man. It's gonna be the ruler of the people and the next king that God is gonna raise up. So Samuel goes and he has these eight brothers, um, David, and he's the youngest of these eight brothers and he's out in the field, he's shepherding the flocks. Um, and so, um, Dylan, will you let uh, Lauren Andrews in? I think she's looking to get in, sorry. I can see in the back, she's, um, and so David, as he lives his life and as he comes, um, he is, he's anointed, he's chosen by God, he's the shepherd in the, he's, he's shepherding these, these sheep in the field. We know that he is called by Saul to come and play the harp for him. Do you know that scripture where God chooses David to go and play the harp for King Saul and he plays it for him. We know that he slays Goliath, right? He's this, Philist, this, this giant Philistine. We know the story with the sling and the stone, just a boy. He walks out into this valley and he slays Goliath. 
He, he becomes best friends with Jonathan, who is Saul's son. We know that he has run and hides from Saul, that Saul tries to kill him because Saul figures out that he's gonna be the next king. He's hiding in the cave. We know this life that David lived and all these things that happened to him and what he did. But what is at the heart of all of it, it's not about David's accomplishments. It's about the relationship that David had with the Lord. And all the things that David did come out of his relationship with God. He didn't set out and say, I wanna be king. Like, I'm gonna make a goals for my life, my 10-year, my 15-year, my 20-year plan is to be king. I wanna get really good at the harp this year, right? I'm in COVID, I can learn an instrument. I wanna get good at an instrument. Uh, I wanna battle and kill a giant, and then I wanna take over as king, and things went south, and now I'm right. That wasn't how it happened for David. This wasn't his plan, he didn't set out. It was just relationship of the Lord that brought David along. And you see that in all of this. When David was chosen and anointed by Samuel, Samuel comes to Jesse and says, one of your sons is gonna be king. And he brings out all the sons before him. He says, don't you have another? And he says, I have my son David that's in the field. He says, go and get him. And scripture says, but the Lord said to Samuel, because David comes in and David's small. Scripture calls him ruddy. He doesn't look very kingly. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him talking about the older brother, the older brother that looked tall, handsome, looked like a king. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, God saw David and a man that had a heart to have relationship with the Lord. When he's chosen to go play the harp for Saul, they didn't scour the land and find the best harpist and it just happened to be David, right? They chose David, why? Because David was a man that had relationship with God. Scripture says this, that one of the servants saying to Saul, I've seen the son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine looking man and the Lord is with him. See, God brought him to play this harp, not because he was the greatest harpist, but out of his relationship with God. When he slayed Goliath, he goes and famously, he's bringing food to the front lines for his brothers that are fighting in this war. He's an errand boy. And he comes up and he brings food for his brothers. And there in this valley is this giant that's nine feet tall, that's blaspheming God. And here's David, this boy, this shepherd. It says, how are we allowing this? This man is blaspheming our God. And Saul says, no one will battle this giant. And David, as this young boy, says, I will. So he tries to put on, they're like, okay, great. Here, put on all this armor. He's like, no, 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 that's not who I am. And he gives credit to the Lord calling him to do that. Here's what he says. He says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Is that a relationship that he had with God? Before he becomes king, Saul is chasing him and trying to kill him. He's bringing armies for him and David is running and David famously says, he says, why are you after me? He says, I am but a flea. What do I matter to you? You are King Saul and I am nothing but a flea and he's hiding in a cave. And so he's, he's trying to run from Saul and one night he goes into Saul's camp. Saul's asleep and all his men are asleep and he has the opportunity to take Saul's life. 
and he doesn't do it. He cuts the hem of his cloak. And here's what he says. He says, may the Lord judge between you and me and may the Lord avenge your wrongs that you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. He says, for you are the Lord's man. It is not my work to do. But even in this moment, it is an opportunity to take the life of Saul, this person that's trying to kill him, and he doesn't do it. And he, he says, may the Lord judge me and may the Lord avenge my wrongs. You see, in every one of these situations, the Lord was there out of his relationship with David. He didn't set out to conquer and to slay a giant. His goal wasn't to, to become some king. He wasn't raised in some palace. He was raised in a field with sheep in relationship with God. And each lesson that he does here is a lesson of God's mercy, of his goodness, of his provision, of his protection on David's life, out of his relationship with God. So his relationship with God gives him these opportunities, gives him these things, gives him four things, and they all start with a C, so I made it easy for you. It gives him confidence, it gives him calling, it gives him courage, and it gives him conviction. When God, when God anoints David and says, you're gonna be the next king, David is confident, not in what he's done, but he's confident in the Lord's anointing on his life. After that very moment, what does he do? Does he go to the palace, say, hey, set me up with the room, I need to start my train? No, he goes back to the field. He's confident in what the Lord has promised him. His calling, when he's called upon to play the harp for King Saul, Right? His calling to come out of this place and to go into this place that the God has called him. His relationship with the Lord gives him courage. Courage to step out into a valley and stand before a giant and slay Goliath. Not because he's this great and mighty warrior that's a giant himself. But he says, the Lord has delivered me from the paw of a lion, from the paw of a bear. And surely God is with me and will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. It gives him conviction, even after Saul's been chasing him for months and he's hiding in caves. He has the opportunity to kill him. He's standing at his feet, he's laying at his feet asleep and he doesn't take his life. He said, this isn't my life to take. He's convicted out of his relationship with the Lord. And here's the truth and here's what we can learn from David when it looks like relationship is that relationship with God is the end game. That that's the end game. David is not focused on what he can get. He's not focused on this ruler or this kingdom that he can build. He's focused only on his relationship with God. Is David perfect? No. Does David always do the right thing? No. But David always pursues relationship with the Lord. And when the Lord looks at this lineage of brothers to raise up one, he doesn't choose the most kingly, the most equipped, the most confident, the tallest, the most handsome. He chooses a man based on his heart, a man after God's own heart. So we think about our own relationship with the Lord. I want you to know that it's not about what we can get out of it. It's not about what we can obtain or what we can build. Relationship is the end game. David was a man that was after what? Not God's blessing, not God's favor, not God's provision. He was a man after God's heart. Jesus says it this way 
in Matthew chapter six. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. You see, David was after one thing and it simplifies things for us. When you consider your relationship with the Lord, that is the end game, is being in relationship with God, trusting him with your life, being convicted by who he is and how he's shaping you, what he's calling you to do, being confident in how he made you, what he created you to do, what he created you to be. When we think about Jacob and Shelby, like we walked through all this stuff with her mom. And man, there was peace there. And their peace wasn't there because they had the best doctors in the world, which thank God, literally they did. Their peace wasn't there because they, they had a great health plan. Their peace wasn't there because they somehow knew some insider information. Peace was there because of Jesus. Out of the relationship with the Lord, they had confidence and peace and conviction over whatever came of her mom. And we were gonna pray and we were gonna seek the Lord to bring healing to her life. But if it didn't happen, there's still peace. There's still confidence. There's still conviction. Does that make it easy? Does that make it okay? No. But the, the relationship with the Lord is the end game. So we look at David's life, that's what we see. So the bad, the good is David, the bad is Solomon. And if you know anything about Solomon, you probably know Solomon more than you realize as Solomon wrote a lot of the Bible. If you look at Proverbs, if you look at Ecclesiastes and 1 Kings talks a lot about the life of Solomon. Solomon is the son of David. And so we look at his life in 1 Kings. As David comes out, he kind of passes down this calling of the Lord. And, and Solomon is known for two things. He's known for his wisdom and his wealth. And if you know anything about Solomon, he was the wisest of anyone in scripture and he was the wealthiest of anyone in scripture. And actually Solomon's walk and relationship with the Lord didn't start off bad. It actually started off really strong and really good. And just like the Parkers or just like maybe one of y'all, Solomon was raised in a Christian home, a Jewish home, but you get it. He was raised in a home that knew the Lord. His father, David, had genuine relationship with Jesus. So when Solomon starts off this life and starts off this journey, he starts off really good, really authentic, pursues a genuine relationship with God. And he's known for his his wisdom is wealth. His wisdom, if you read the first five or 10 Proverbs in the book of Proverbs, they are about wisdom and they are written by Solomon. And he, he counts wisdom as being more valuable than rupees and gold and anything on this earth. He famously asked God for wisdom and discernment uh, when God calls him to lead his people. So when, when David he kind of passes down not only his throne, but this calling of God to, to lead God's people. And he says that you're gonna create this, you're gonna build this temple. You're gonna uh, bring the Ark of the Covenant here and you're gonna lead God's people. And so God goes to him and God says, I'll give you anything that you want. God says to Solomon, anything you want, I'll give to you. And Solomon asks for wisdom and discernment. And 1 Kings chapter four says this, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measurable as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people in the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan, the Ezraite, wiser than Haman, Kalkol, and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 
He spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life from cedars of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his great wisdom. It starts there, it says, God gave Solomon wisdom, granted him this one ass that he had. And he gave him this wisdom. It's from the Lord and it's for the sake of the Lord, for Solomon to lead and discern and to shape and to guide and to protect God's people. And Solomon, for the majority and the start of his life, was faithful and true to this calling that was handed down from his father. But he was also known for his wealth. When he asked God for the wisdom, God says, because you asked for wisdom and discernment, I will also give you great wealth. And 1 Kings chapter 10 talks, and it's just like this laundry list of absurd wealth that Solomon had. In verse 14 in 1 Kings 10, it says, the weight of gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents. Now that number 666 is probably not by mistake or coincidence, but 666 talents is about 25 tons of gold. Today, a year, he gets, he gets 25 tons of gold a year. Today, that's $1.1 billion a year. That's his wealth, $1.1 billion a year. And that's today's standards. Verse 18 says, Then the king, being Solomon, made a great throne covered with ivory or, and, and overlaid with fine gold. He made, a, he made his own throne. He makes a throne out of ivory and then he covers it with gold. Like that is how absurdly wealthy he is. Is he makes a, a, this, this, this throne out of ivory and covers it with gold. Verse 22 says, the king had a fleet of trading ships at sea along with the ships of Hiram. Once every three years it returned carrying gold, silver and ivory, apes and baboons. This is like Mike Tyson rich. Right, like when, when animals are included in your wealth, that is like Mike Tyson, I've got a tiger type money. This dude is wealthy, right? But just like his wisdom, the wealth was given from God for the sake of God so that Solomon could build this temple, Solomon could lead God's people. But at some way, some point, sometimes things get sideways, that Solomon starts off really strong. In 1 Kings 3, it says that Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a night in a dream, and God said, ask her whatever you want, and I will give it to you. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued his great with this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on the throne to this very day. Now, Lord, my God, Lord, my God, Lord, my God, not Lord, my father's God, Lord, my God. You've made your servant king in a palace of my father, David, but I'm only a little child and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people. You have chosen a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. The Lord was pleased with Solomon and what he had asked for. So God said this to him, since you have asked for this and not for a life of wealth for yourself, nor asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do that just as you've asked and I will, I will give you a wise and discerning heart so there may never have anyone else like you, nor will there ever be 
Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. Is that God gives him this wealth and this wisdom, but somewhere at some point it gets sideways with Solomon. Here's what he says in his own words in Ecclesiastes chapter two. This is Solomon writing about his own life at the end of his life. He says this. He says, yet when I survey all that my hands have done and what I've toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. You see, Solomon's resume is better than yours, right? He looks better on paper. He is smarter than you. He is wealthier than you. He has the best resume that there's ever been. And yet at the end of his life, he says this, he says, everything was meaningless, like chasing after the wind because at some point in Solomon's life, it stopped being about the relationship with God and it started being about the work of the Lord. Does that make sense? It stopped being about the relationship and started to be about the work. He focused on the blessing and not the blesser. And Solomon stopped pursuing relationship with God. He began to pursue power and pleasure. Because as famous as Solomon was for his wealth and his wisdom, he was equally famous for his wives, his promiscuity, his lust, his pursuit of pleasure and power. So at some point in his life, he got derailed. And this happens all the time in churches. We see this all the time is that churches start off really good intentions, pursuing the Lord, wanting to honor Jesus. And at some point they get sideways about the work of the church. We've got to be bigger. We've got to have more chairs. We've got to have more guests. We've got to have more ties. We've got to have more money. We've got to have bigger staff. We've got to do more things. We've got to have more ministries. We want to grow and grow and grow and grow. And that soon we begin spending people like currency. And I want you to know, like, that's something us as your elders are really conscientious about. About, man, we are here for relationship with one another and relationship with the Lord, period. It's not about all the things that we can do and accomplish and how great our name can be or how big our church can become. It's about relationship with one another and with the Lord and allowing the Lord to do his will out of that relationship. But as soon as we start seeing one another as currency to be spent for the sake of the kingdom, we get it, we make things about the work and not the relationship. And, and Solomon fell into this. In 1 Kings chapter 11, we see kind of the fall of Solomon. It says this, it says, there were nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his hearts after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. Now, like if you're a married man or not a married man or a married woman or a not a married woman, 700 spouses, 300 concubines is absurd, right? And surely there was not relationship in every one of these. And so while Solomon, yes, was pursuing pleasure, he was also pursuing power. You see, he was marrying these women, why? Not for relationship, for territory. 
He's literally marrying these women so that he has more people under him. He can rule more, more area, more people, and he's growing his own empire. And it's not, about Sol- it's not about the Lord anymore. It's about what? It's about Solomon. It's about how big can we get this thing? How massive can we become? Right? So at some point, it stops being about relationship. And it starts being about the work. And I think with our own lives, that's why the end game matters. That's why Solomon is the bad. And I'm not saying like, man, these are real people. I know that's weird. We, we see scripture like this is a real human being. And I don't mean to just dump on Solomon. And, we, and we, I don't mean to, to, to judge his relationship with God. But we begin to see and we get distracted about the work of the Lord. We can get real sideways real quick. So I want to encourage you to to not ever allow it to become about the work, how holy I can be, how righteous I can be. I get it. Like we walk in here on Sunday mornings and you sit in a chair and the band starts and we worship. And man, I know you're not in a good place all the time. I know you don't feel like raising your hands or singing out or being joyful. But you do it, right? Because it's what you're supposed to do in church. It's the way church is supposed to happen, right? And, and, and while there's value in that to say, I had a friend that was sharing with me this morning uh, just about how their relationship with the Lord has felt dry. He's like, but you know what? I've been faithful to the relationship and God's been really sweet in and through that. It's just like our relationship with our kids, or our spouses, they matter. So our kids, my wife is out of town this weekend. My kids, the, the boys, they wanted to get out the, it was Saturday. They wanted to get out the um, marshmallow shooters. Have you ever seen these things like PVC pipes they make? So they make these marshmallow shooters. They want to go outside and shoot marshmallows out of the marshmallow shooters. I did not want to do that on Saturday. I was like, you boys go out, you know, y'all have fun, go get it. But I thought, no, like I need to go and do that. Why? Because they're my kids and I love them and I'm in relationship with them. So we shot marshmallows at each other and the dog ate most of them and it was great. That's why my wife, when she gets back tomorrow, Monday night, we're going on a date. And I know she doesn't want to, even though I do. But she's going to, why? Because we are in relationship with one another. That is what relationship is. I'm not married to Shay because of the work that we could do and the family we can build. And even in our families, we get distracted by that. You see families, husband and wives, pour so much into their kids to make my kid this all-star baseball player, this great student or this scholar, and then the kid leaves the home and there's no relationship between husband and wife. Happens all the time. And not to make this about marriage or about our relationship with our kids or whatever relationship you have in your life, but we think about the Lord and we are called to relationship, not work not what we can produce, not how big our palace can become, not our ivory throne covered in gold, not the 700 wives and all the people that we can rule over that. It's about relationship with God. And finally, we arrive to the ugly. This is Rehoboam. And honestly, this will be pretty short and sweet. Uh, I tried to find a scripture that had any reference to relationship with the Lord, and there isn't one. Why? Because he never had a relationship with God. 
Rehoboam had no relationship with God. He barely had an, an acknowledgement that the Lord existed. And so if you know anything about Rehoboam, his uh, short and sweet relationship with the Lord is as short and sweet as his reign and his rule leading God's people. And so he's put into power. His, his father Solomon dies. He has all these nations he's leading. And allow, imagine the baggage that comes with that. Like your dad had 700 wives, was the richest and wisest man of all time, and you are inheriting that throne. And so the people come to him when he takes, when he takes his position and becomes king. People come to him, God's people, and say, say, we need your help. We're burdened. In verse 3 in, in 1 Kings chapter 12, it says, so they sent Jeroboam, somebody else, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, and, and the whole assembly of Israel to Rehoboam and said to him, your father, being Solomon, put a heavy yoke upon us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke that he put on us, and we will serve you. You see, Solomon, in his pursuit of pleasure and power, he begins to rule these people and enslave them and taxation and, and puts this big, heavy burden and yoke upon them. So they go to Rehoboam and they say, please lighten the burden that comes from your father. And he says, this, he says to them, give me three days. This is his first big decision as a king. He says, give me three days. I need some time. Let me figure out what to do. Come back in three days and I'll have an answer. So first he seeks the advice of his father's elders. These are, these are elders... By, by age and stature, but also in relationship with the Lord. So he asked the elders what he should do. Verse six, then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. Did the elders say, love them, serve them, lead them. This is an opportunity to you to love these people that you're leading, to give them a favorable answer. But for Rehoboam, that is not what he wanted. And that's not the answer he wanted to get. Why? Because he cared about two things, power and pleasure. Same things he knew his father to care about, power and pleasure. So when you don't get the answer from people that are advising you that you want to get, what do you do? You ask somebody else, right? You say, what do they know? They're no good. So he asked somebody else and he makes the right decision to get the answer. So he asked the advice of his buddies. These are literally scripture says, it's the guys that he grew up with. And so in verse eight, it says, Rehoboam rejected the advice that the elders gave him and consulted with a young man who had grown up with him and were serving him. And he asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young man, young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father has put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So Rehoboam got the advice and the answer he wanted. So he, choose, he chose their advice. He got what he wanted to hear. So after three days, they come back to him and they say, what answer do you give us for what we ask? Verse 14 says, he followed the advice of the young man and said, my father made your yoke heavy and I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people for this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill what the word of the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. So here it is. And he takes the advice of these young men and his reign is short. 
God's people are scattered. Uh, There's other kings. He has all this adversary. But look, even in this, God's presence is there. God knew that this would happen. So we think about it. It's not just the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you categorizing your relationship with the Lord in one of those things. It's about considering what does relationship with the Lord look like and what does it matter to me? You could be like Rehoboam, and man, there is this in the world all the time, and I am not trying to share that part, this part of it with you to intimidate you or to manipulate you into a relationship with the Lord, but I just wanna give you perspective And in three generations, we go for a man after God's own heart to someone that doesn't even acknowledge the existence of God in three generations. Your relationship with God matters. And it's easy, it's simple, it's relationship. You don't have to be the most spiritual, holiest, righteous person as long as you're pursuing relationship with the Lord. You can look at Solomon and all his splendor. So here's what I want to say. As we close, I want to give you three things. These are kind of things you can consider for yourself and do today. Is first of all, remember that where your faith starts matters. Where your faith starts matters. I shared about my own life and Jacob and Shelby said, hey, I was raised in this environment. I was raised in the church. For David, his relationship started alone in a field with God. Literally night and day, day after day, week after week, watching over these sheep. Read Psalms. When did David write those? Did he write those sitting in a palace? Did he write those sitting on an ivory throne covered with gold? No. He wrote those in a field watching over sheep. His relationship with God started in silence, it started in isolation. Do you, are you someone that can go out and connect with the Lord and be alone, whether it's hunting or fishing or whatever, and it's just things are right with God? Why? Because God's not in the crack of thunder. God's not in the earthquake of the splitting of the rocks. God is in the whisper of the wind. And relationships looks like one-on-one, like you getting time with God. For Solomon, his relationship began in royalty and prestige. For Rehoboam, it never began. Jesus illustrates this with the parable of the soils. When talking about receiving God's word, he says says, it's like seed that's scattered upon the path that is snatched up by the birds before it can even take, it can take hold and take root. That's Rehoboam. It talks about seed being scattered among the thorns and growing up with the thorns. That's probably Solomon, Right? But what's the soil of your relationship with God? And I'm not saying if you or your family's wealthy or you've got great prestige that, that, that you can't have a relationship with the Lord, but I am saying you should be leery and weary of those things. So where your relationship with the Lord and where your faith starts matters. And you should consider that. Man, if your testimony is that, man, I was raised in church and my parents told me about Jesus, and you ever share that with a pastor and they stop you and say, oh, that doesn't matter, call that person out. It matters. It matters. Second, thing for you to consider about your own life is that sin plays a huge role in your relationship with God, is a huge variable. 
It is the reason you've got relationship with God. And we look at this and we look at sin being passed on from generation to generation. Look, David was not perfect. We famously, if you, look at, if you look at David, if you look at Solomon, you look at Rehoboam and you stack their sins up, the greatest sinner's who? It's David. He saw Bathsheba on the roof of a house bathing and said, I want that. But she was married, so what does he do? He sends Uriah to the front of the line so that her husband will die and he takes Bathsheba for his own. And that is a greater sin than Rehoboam saying, hey, I'm not lightening your load and the burden. But man, it's our relationship with God. Sin is at the center of that. For Solomon, it was lust and power. For Rehoboam, it was power. But the center of our relationship with the Lord, sin plays a huge role. And it's not about shame. It's not about guilt. It's about allowing the Lord to reconcile that for all of us. Because the difference between David versus Solomon versus Rehoboam was that David allowed the Lord to reconcile his sin, to forgive his sin. You want to know what that sounds like? Go read Psalm 51. That is the psalm that David wrote after he, his sin upon Bathsheba. And you see, his sin was not only against Bathsheba, but his sin was against who? It was against God. And you read Psalm 51, and I will tell you this, if you are a person, a man, a woman in this room, and you know Psalm 51 really well, it's not because you know sin really well, it's because you know forgiveness really well. And there's so much of us that want to, want to not deal with this stuff, not allow the Lord to heal it. It's not about shame and guilt and dealing with our sin and being punished for it. It's about taking that and allowing God to redeem and restore that. And the last is this, is that you have the opportunity to change the trajectory of your family for good or bad. You see this in David, you see this in Solomon, you see this in Rehoboam, is that the sins of the father are passed down to the next generation, but also the relationship with the Lord. Is that there are people in your life, whether you are a parent, whether you are not a parent, whether you are a roommate or a coworker, there are people that your relationship with God affects. And to allow the Lord to use that. And, and you might not be playing a harp for anyone. You're probably not gonna slay a giant. You are not gonna be the king of any nation. But man, God's got purpose and reason for your life. So we think about relationship with God. I want you to know relationship is the end game and that your relationship with the Lord matters. If you would, stand with me. I'm gonna pray for us. And again, I, I, I want you to resist the temptation to categorize yourself as to good and bad or the ugly. And I'm gonna pray for us and I just want you to consider where you are with the Lord. And what I want you to do is ask yourself and ask the Lord not now, right now, what does the next step in our relationship look like? That may be a first step for you. Let me tell you, if you do not know Jesus Christ, you are beautifully, wonderfully made as much as anyone else. And you have purpose and you, you have value and your life matters. And God is passionately after you and wants relationship with you. Man, if you've been following Jesus for 55 years and this is your 25th sermon you've heard on David or Solomon or whatever, man, I promise you it's about the relationship.
Thank you for joining us this morning for our service. We are publishing content throughout the week for Church at Home through our social media and website. For more information, visit www.vessel.church.